Hey, everybody, it's Bevan from the future, uh, giving you a little episode that I recorded in the past. I, in fact, I think I did this recording, obviously, when I was still living in LA, but also uh, before I even knew that I was moving away. So it's, uh, it's fresh, but vintage. Uh, H. Allen is part of the amazing friends that I have who are former Mormons. Um, and so I just love that this is a weird theme. This is the second episode that's coming out with one of my former Mormon friends. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and Hey everybody, it's Bevan. Welcome to my podcast, Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends. Today, I am so thrilled to be joined by my friend, H. Allen Scott. Hello. What a miracle. Uh, thank you so miracle much. Miracle of miracles. It's from Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Already making me laugh out loud. It's true. We haven't even got through the intro yet. I mean, I, I, I like where, where this is going. I do too. I feel yeah. like we're... We must say first off that yeah. my boyfriend is uh, stoning a corset as we pod. Ha! Yes, you know? it's true. Because we're not talking, we're potting. We're potting. Yeah. Wait. Podcasting, potting, but it's short for potting. Okay. Listen, H. Allen is my friend who has more podcasts than any of my friends. Well, I have one currently. Really? But I've done a bunch. You've done a bunch. Yes. So many. I, I feel like... The the past few years, the majority of my success has been in podcasting, which sounds sad. It's not, um, but uh, but I think I've had I've had three like big ones. Yeah, yeah, three big ones. Yes, one of which, which was your true crime podcast. Yeah, got you connected to the person who created a whole documentary about your yeah. life. So we were doing uh, a, a friend of mine and I were doing a true crime podcast where we watched you know, true crime and then try to solve the mystery as we watched it. And it was stupid and fun and silly. And then we were developing a television show off of it. And the woman we were developing the television show with learned about my past of being raised Mormon and then getting cancer and then converting to Judaism and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, there's a movie and the true crime thing never took off, but the Jew thing did. So, you know. It's a great movie. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, you saw the screening. I did. I you saw the screening. fantastic. Oh, at the screening or in your movie? Because there's like in a- In the movie and a, at the screening. There's a, like a couple of scenes where I'm like standing up mm-hmm. in the background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> feel honored. I felt, you know what? Listen, I'll take any like rando documentary moment I can. Well, your face is going to be in festivals across the country. We're currently, we're all over the place. Um, Latter Day Jew uh-huh. is what it's called. Yes. Um, you want to shout out any of the festivals that you think people might. Oh God, I'm so bad at it's this. It's fine. LatterdayJew.com. I, I mean, yeah, LatterdayJew.com. And it's, I mean, we were just in San Francisco for the Jewish festival there. It would really, went really well. We're at the Heartland Documentary festival we're at something in new york i don't even know the names i'm so bad it's so funny when they do it because i'm so like with everything that i do latter-day jew the movie is probably the least comfortable thing that i'm good at really because i'm not good at promoting myself i Uh, don't think yeah i'm good at existing in my own way and like being me and doing online stuff but when it comes to like talking about a serious subject and like dealing with questions from the movie and like because the movie even though it is a comedy it's it's has a lot of heart to it as well and it people will then want to come up and talk to me about very serious things and all I want to do is crack a joke and get out of there real quick because I don't want (laughs) to have the conversation no offense 
And, uh, but I know I can't do that. I know I can't not have the conversation. So I just suck it up and get emotional. Uh, I don't get emotional. It's tender though. I, I mean, do. I keep a distance. It's a great documentary. Thank it you. Really, I mean, your story is very um, unusual, as you are a very unusual human. Um, I just think others haven't caught up. I mean, to my usualness. Fair. <laughs> You're the new normal. No, I'm. Yeah. I'm yeah. yeah. Um, but also, like, you converted to Judaism while you were going through cancer treatment. Uh, yeah, yes. And it sort of chronicles all of that, and then the journey to your bar mitzvah, yeah, which is like you know madcap and hilarious, and you have lots of fun comedians on who yeah. also are funny, um, and you're funny, but it's also like very serious because like you know you also had a friend who passed away uh-huh. who had cancer at the same time as you was the yeah. same age, and like really I loved the way you dealt with that, like or you meaning you and the director and the producer mm-hmm. who created the documentary. Yeah, we. Um so my friend, uh, Derek, he and I were friends in New York um, for a long time when we both lived there. And I say it in the documentary, but we um, we both were very similar in, like, so many ways. You know, we both were sort of, we moved to New York from a more repressed area. I mean, his family was, I think, probably more religious. I don't really know much about his family, so I really can't speak to that. But my family was more liberal. But I come from St. Louis, and it wasn't the most welcoming or comfortable community to be gay and be weird in. And so I... And you were Mormons. Yes. Yeah, but not conservative Mormon, but okay. Mormons, yes. And uh, and when you're a Mormon, you're automatically just weird. Um, but we, I moved to New York, and sort of, we both sort of did that sort of thing. And I was performing, of course, and he uh, would come to shows and stuff, and he had that kind of laugh that, as a, anyone who performs on stage, you know that if you're trying to connect with an audience member, the only, you, you don't have much you can do like audibly to, to have a personal conversation to connect with someone, which is the normal way of connecting with someone because it's a very sort of vain art form that I'm standing on stage and have the audacity to think that you should listen to me. And so he had this laugh that like was so addictive that whenever you're pointing directions of a joke, you always point in his direction because it was so such a fierce laugh, you know? Yeah. Uh, and he was just great. We both loved Sandra Bullock. We both had an obsession with Madonna. Like, it was a, it was a whole thing. And um, he got diagnosed long before I did. He had years of fighting his cancer. And I, uh, but then when I got diagnosed, he and I communicated mainly via text and Facebook and stuff. And yeah, and then he passed away the day I finished chemo. And in the film, and, and well, right after when he died, I kind of just, had to block all of that out, and uh, I focused on me because I was done with chemo and I was trying to recover and do the things I had to do, and um, kind of blocked out dealing with a lot of that sort of the the weirdness the, the the weirdness of the coincidence of timing that that was you know um, I don't know if I like understand karma or any of that but like him passing away that very day was. It, it kind of it shook me in a way. It was it was just too too close to home, too much a part of my story, and um, and so in the film we try to uh, not not resolve that, not get closure on that sort of, but to have some sort of period on that sentence. You know what I mean? It was and, a process. Yeah, it didn't and I happen. It was beautifully done. Um, but you have to watch the film to find out what happened there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's also so many cool things in the film, yeah. especially for folks who are like 
curious about converting to Judaism. I felt like mm-hmm. that was really covered. Yeah. I felt like your relationship with your mom is really beautiful. She's and great. like it's this is like a great movie for like a, a mom of a gay kid to mm-hmm. go see with. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I feel like that's or just like, any queer kid. Yeah. Any anyone any kid who has that mom who wants so desperately just to like be cool with it and be chill. Yeah. And my mom struggled, but she found a way to be chill and cool. Will you tell the story? This is one of my favorite stories of you and your mom about the coming out episode of Ellen. Yeah. And how that played out for you as like a young Mormon teen. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, oh, I don't even know where it began. Uh, it was, so I was, of course, I was I was I loved comedy as a kid and I loved TV and I was obsessed with all of it and I loved Ellen long before um over my Frasier my cat came out and for, and Bevan is very excited okay. as she should be you know a lesbian's face lights up when a cat enters a room Frasier will come love um so yeah I was obsessed with Ellen I I loved her comedy I loved the television show I thought it was so funny and original and then when she was coming out it was a really big deal to me and uh but I had I couldn't I didn't want anyone to know that it was a big deal to me because that would tell everyone that I was gay and I was in middle school at the time and I, I think middle school yeah and I uh, um, it was uncomfortable it was just an uncomfortable time because I didn't know how I was going to watch the episode I didn't know but it was a big deal to watch the episode and I kept trying to want, I kept wanting to talk to people about it but I couldn't because then it would make me look gay and it was ugh. and um, and so. I watched the episode in my room quietly on like my headphones on the little portable TV thingy that we had and uh, volume really low down. No one could know that I was watching this and I thought it was a great moment, really iconic. And, um, and then my mom uh, afterward, like shortly afterwards was like, did you watch that episode of Ellen? And um, I was like, no, why don't I watch that gay thing? Gay. And, and uh, she responded that, um, oh, you should have. It was really brave what she did. And it was sort of like a, it was a touchstone moment in my heart that, okay, my mom is cool. I get it. And, yeah. and then 20 years later, I was able to tell Ellen that on Ellen. Yes. Yeah. And it was a, that was a nice moment. On so. the, cause it was like a 20 year anniversary episode of the Oprah Ellen Oprah was show. on it. Laura Dern was on That's it. True. I mean, everyone important was on it except for. Well, everyone when Borden was on it. Yeah. <laughs> Katie Lang. Katie Lang yeah. was on it. Um, yeah, it was a big moment. Ugh. Yeah. Was... And, the, and the episode of Ellen, her talk show. Yeah. It was cool. Also, the only, I've only, I've done three talk shows in my life, right? Three. And uh, Ellen or Oprah has been a part of two of them. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Wait, so I know about the one where you, because you have a Golden Girls tattoo. I do. Which was, as soon as I saw that Oh, that's right. You, I guess I've done four. Oh. I guess I've done four. I didn't okay. count Jimmy. See, Jimmy Kimmel, to me, is not a talk show. It's a late night show. Oh. In my head, I separate okay. it. Okay. So I'm a t- daytime talk show. Day- I've done three daytime three talk shows. Three daytime talk shows. And, uh, Wait, um, tell us the resume. What are the other shows? Well, okay. My first daytime talk show was the Rachel Ray show. It was her, like... Seventh episode or something. Is it delish? And yeah, well, they. I was cast. I was cast on the Rachel Ray show. Let's be real, people. She. They wanted a really gay person to eat a cannoli, and I was that person in New York City. So I got what cast a, to do that. What a resume! Line. What a resume! Line, I'm right? just saying, yeah. like I could eat um, the, eat a cannoli. You it know was what a I good mean? cannoli. A lot of too. gays can eat a cannoli. It was a but good cannoli. To be a, a casted gay eating casted cannoli. gay, but it, I, I didn't give off the impression that I was casted. I was just a person that happened. to 
to love a cannoli. Uh-huh. Um, so that happened. And then my second... Was it a good cannoli? It was actually yeah, okay. a good cannoli. Um, and then my second uh, t- daytime talk show appearance, um, which I do count as like my real one because... The Rachel Ray one wasn't real, really. I mean, it was just me eating a cannoli and acting gay. Like, that's basically real life. It's like Tuesday. And yeah, <laughs> it basically is. Um, so the real one was I uh, was on Oprah 25th or the final year, whatever what? thing. I never told you this? No. Yeah. Um, so I had been doing jokes about Shirley MacLaine for a long time in my act. Because um, I love Shirley MacLaine. Have you read and the books? Of course, yes, they're presented right there in my bookshelf. Oh my god, same. Um, I love Shirley MacLaine. Oh. Uh, Out on a limb is and My Lucky Stars is like the best. Um, uh, Any who's he what's it? Uh, so yeah, I was doing jokes about Shirley MacLaine, and I was joking about how because I was single at the time, and I was joking about how I wanted like you know her to, her her future seekingness to tell me where love was going to come. It was bad jokes. It wasn't very good. But a Harper producer, Harpo producer, um, saw my act and thought it was funny and then told me it worked at Oprah. And I was like, oh, that's cool, whatever. I didn't think anything of it um, because I was used to a lot of people just saying that they knew a lot of important people and then never doing anything for me. Um, <laughs> so I didn't think anything you of it. You never know when those seeds will sprout. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. But I, I don't, I, I've learned a lesson in anything entertainment that don't believe anything until the check is deposited. Um, and I mean, that, let's just write that. That's a tweetable. It's, but it's true. Tweet that out. People want to talk. Anything. People want to say they yeah. got you. They're going to get you this thing. You're in this thing. Uh-huh. You can even be on set and people can be filming you. This has happened to me. You can be contracted to be in something thinking that it's going to be a thing and then you don't get used and it's not a thing. You get a, you get a check though, oh. but it's not, it's still not the thing. Whatever. Okay. So I don't believe anything until yeah, it actually happens. Absolutely. Um, but, so they said this and whatever. And then, uh, like maybe a year goes by and that producer remembered this act and they contacted me and we had a Skype session and Shirley MacLaine was going to be on talking about some book and talking to aliens in New Mexico. And I was like, great, I am down. What do you want from me? And I figured they wanted like something to film some stupid thing, but they didn't, they flew me out and, uh, to Chicago, like, we Skyped one day, two days later, I was in Chicago, and I, I waited in line for Shirley MacLaine with the rest of the audience to be in the audience for Shirley MacLaine, thinking like, okay, well, this is going to be cool. I'm going to do a talking head thing, and that'll be it. Not meet anybody, not have anything. And then they say my name, like in line. Like I'm standing in line. I'm standing in the back of the line talking with like, you know, my demo, like 40-some-year-old women and gay guys, like totally. all in line for Oprah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm having a great time. And then they call my name. And I was like, oh, excuse me, I have to go. And I walk to the front of the line. And they bring me in. And I talk with the producers. And they explain sort of what is going to happen. And um, they asked if I wanted to, like, warm up the audience. And I was like, well, I mean, <laughs> sure. And, uh, and then the audience gets in. And they let me do some jokes. And I do stupid jokes where I do one specific stupid joke where... I say, I'm going to do um, the one thing I've always wanted to do. And uh, everyone waits. And I smell Oprah's leather chair, like that where her butt would be. Uh-huh. 
And it was good in the moment. I'm sure Oprah probably didn't like that. I don't know if Oprah even saw that. Probably not. Um, but uh, I loved it. And then I got I got the whole crowd going, like because my name was my name is H Allen, and uh, it, people forget the H or they don't know what the H is. So I did a joke where I was like, I'm H and she's O, and together we're no. Don't do that. Don't don't say that. Don't call her that because you know, it would be Ho. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I did that, and so the audience was saying age. So then when it came time for me to ask my question to Shirley MacLaine, because I was in the audience and they were going to do a whole film thing, um, and they, the producer came up and told me to stand up, and I stood up. And when I stood up, because of me earlier, the whole audience in unison said, H, because of the joke. And I was like, oh, me. You know? and, then, and then Oprah was like, oh no, Shirley MacLaine was like, what's H? And I heard her say that, because she's on a mic, of course, so I heard her say that, so I was like, oh, H. Allen Scott. And then Oprah said, H. Allen Scott, and then I died. Uh And that's why on my resume and every bio and everything, it says Oprah said my name, because of that moment. Wow. Yeah. And then I asked my question, but I don't remember anything after that. I do. I asked the stupid, it was a stupid question, because they, I had submitted a funny thing for them, and they were like, "Mm, we're going to write that for you. Uh And I asked the question they wanted me to ask, and that was my... That was my moment. That's great. Did yeah. they give you a per diem? Well, they paid like for everything. And stuff. Yeah, I got like gift bag and nice. Oprah stuff and an Oprah shirt and oh. like all the Oprah things that you get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you're I there. Mean, you know, it's very showbiz. Yeah, I didn't get a, I didn't get a dressing room like I did on Ellen. You had a dressing room with the other guests too. There were were a bunch of there were other people doing 20th anniversary stories. It wasn't just me. Let's be real. It was a a huge star-studded event. It was a huge star-studded event, but we all got a dressing room, and I will say that was delicious. The snacks were great. They put a they put makeup on me. It was a whole thing. Like that was that's when you know you are a real guest. Yes. When someone makes you mad. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. When someone gets the shine off. When someone cares enough yes. about your pre, your, your oh presence God. that you don't have a shine. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I have definitely very rarely had the occasion that someone else was it's doing It's great. When someone makes you mad. Oh my ooh, God. Yes. That is a moment. That is a moment when you know someone cares. It's true. And I've also learned from getting my makeup done professionally that I have to tell them very explicitly, I like my makeup to look like Miss Piggy. Oh. <laughs> We're obsessed, with Miss Piggy. We're obsessed with Miss Piggy. We're obsessed with Miss Piggy. And when Piggy. you say we, you're referring to Michael. Michael, Michael who and is I, yeah. Shaking rhinestones. Michael is, so I also do drag, and Michael is um, the creative artist behind Sadie Pines, my drag. Yeah. I, I'm the entertaining part of it, but he's the artistic director part of it. I love that you and, have an artistic director. You yeah, deserve it. And everything um, visually is, is instructed by him. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I also love that, like, right now. And we now, go for Miss Piggy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Miss Piggy is just such a complete icon of Truly. just over the top femininity Truly. and drag. She is the, the, the most iconic feminist. Sorry, Gloria Steinem. But Miss Piggy truly defines what feminism is. Absolutely. Yeah. And, like, permeated an entire generation of young fat girls yeah. to, like, just give us the, the permission. To be that mm-hmm. glamorous when there really weren't fat, glamorous women no. celebrities. Her in that new movie, not the one that's like the mystery caper, but the one that was for the resurgence of the Muppets with Jason Siegel. You remember oh, that, yeah, one? that one? That one. Her part in that was great. I really loved. She was like loved. the Vogue editor and stuff in yes, Paris. Yeah. I really loved her in that, um, in that 
very short-lived television series that the Muppets did. Which one was it was like two years ago, and um, it was like ABC, probably. Oh yeah, it was thirteen yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah, it was like such. It was so well done. It was like this like late night talk show host. Oh, Ms. that's Piggy. so cool. Kermit was her ex. Like it might still be on Hulu. Well, in the movie, that's how it was too. Kermit was her ex, and that's yeah. and that's one thing that I do love. That's why I think she's the most awesome feminist because she not only knew what she wanted, including sexually with Kermit, but she pursued it. Kermit didn't even pursue it. There was no man abusing the woman in this situation, taking advantage of the woman's sexuality or anything. It was Miss Piggy owning her sexuality, saying, I want that little green frog's D and I want it now. And she did anything she had to do to get it. And then when she lost it, she became a fierce woman on her own. Absolutely. Vogue editor in Paris. Yeah. Late night talk show host, clearly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Miss Piggy is everything. Getting it handled. Yeah. yeah. But you were saying Michael's working on a... Oh, He's I just working a, on chaps right did. now. Yeah. Oh, are those chaps? Yeah. <laughs> it's a corset and chaps. Yeah, the corset is there, and then there's <laughs> chaps it's, with it's sparklies. Sequins. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's, lot of things. It's delightful. It's actually really soothing to watch someone, like, meticulously glue. This is him all day. Yeah. Oh, wow. Sewing and gluing. Sewing and gluing. I yeah. mean, you know... It's what you do as a designer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just watch as I sit here and make jokes and create things. (laughs) (laughs) H.L., you talked to us about, like, um, you started drag just within the last, like... Yeah, so I... um, I, Well, I'd always kind of, like... So my path to drag has been strange, I think, in that I... So I started off in comedy, you know, doing Mm -hmm. stand-up, and I actually started off in acting, and then I realized I hated sharing a stage with people. And they, because mainly I never thought they were very good, not in acting, but in terms of having presence on stage. And I, and not that I felt like I had a lot of presence, but I felt that I had a presence that didn't need anybody else to be with on stage. And so I started doing stand up, and that felt really right to me. But stand up, also never was the end game for me. You know, the end game was always about the presence and what am I bringing to the situation and how can I be a dynamic sort of like storyteller just using presence and what is really presence in stand-up? You know, I knew I wasn't going to be like a late-night talk or a late-night joke guest person and have spots on late-night and do and do club work and, like, perform in that way. That wasn't my game, you know? It was always um, it was always just the presence and me being on stage and connecting with an audience. And after cancer, I really became... I mean, bec- during cancer, I specifically couldn't perform a lot. And so that prevented me from doing the thing that was so normal for, you know, 10 years at that point. And, uh, and so I started writing more and I started exploring different areas of being a personality that didn't necessarily require me to go and be on stage when I was really sick. And podcasting was a part of that, um, writing and getting printed. I didn't know I could be a good journalist, but I was a funny, good journalist. And so I'd work for Vice and these other places. And, um, and then now I've gotten to a place where like, you know, I don't like, (laughs) I don't like, performing on a lot of stand-up shows and I've only ever liked sort of creating my own shows and doing my own things and doing my own live shows and I needed a different way of presenting myself and like putting that presence out there and drag is really 
um, a nice way of doing it because what I've noticed in drag, at least, is when I'm doing it, I have great presence. I can control a room. I can keep attention. I can do all of that. But because I look like everybody else, it's really easy for people to, I don't know, not have a true connection. I don't know. There's, there's something there, whereas when you're in drag, people pay attention. Mm. But what I find a lot of times in drag is if a drag queen is just a look queen, they have nothing to keep that attention other than the look. Mm-hmm. And I know I can have a good look thanks to Michael because he can create an outfit that people will want to look at, fortunately. And I hopefully then have something to say that keeps them in the room. Yeah. For longer than it takes for them to look at the outfit. <laughs> uh, and so it's a, it's a nice combination. And it's, it's, a, it's a part of sort of my growing need to just create and do different things and try different things and see what feels right and follow what feels right and not necessarily do what I always was told was the thing I should be doing, you know, or felt like I should be doing. Because stand-up comedians are told you're supposed to either get cast in something and go in the acting direction, get staffed on a TV show and write and go in the writing direction, or, you know, then those are really the two paths if you're living in Los Angeles and you're a comedian. And those paths to me are bullshit because I don't want to do either of those things. I hate the arrogance of a writer's room because they're all just a bunch of people with small dicks and big opinions. And I hate actors because they're actors. So, you know, I needed to do something else that was more me. Um, He's going to the other side. Frazier's. I'm just trying to get a. a Bevan needs to get that selfie. Listen, this is going (laughs) to. You're hearing it on the podcast, but you're also going to see it. You're going to go to Instagram. I want Frazier to represent me in the pic. Oh, hi. 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 Yeah, I think Frazier does represent you. He is an amazing long haired black and white cat, for those of you who are too Mm -hmm. lazy to look this up on the internet. Yeah. Uh, He has such a strong personality. He is, yeah. He's definitely. I've known him almost as long as I've known you. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a cat that makes an impression. He knows how to make himself loved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Sadie's great. I love Sadie. Yeah. She's fun. You do great makeup. Well, that's a lot of Michael, too. That's, yeah. Because I can't, I don't know color, and uh-huh. I don't know shapes at all. Okay. I, I can't see that. It's like there's something. So does something, Michael do your makeup? I thought you yes, were doing your own makeup. Well, I mean, I do what I can. Okay. And he blends. Oh. <laughs> He's like, I got to come over here and blend this. Well, no, he has to come over there and recognize that certain colors go together and certain oh, colors don't. Oh, got it. Okay. I can't do that. I don't know what that, I mean, I can if I'm taught the colors that Once go you together. Get a formula, yeah, like you're like, but okay, like, I know how to do for me. If I want to look amazing mm-hmm. for a photo or something, that's Michael has to do that. It's, there's no, uh, yeah, there's none of that. I mean, I can, I can do, I can do a show one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a process, but then yeah. again, too, that's also like, it's also one of those things that um, Michael and I together, we, it's like a, there's an artistic output there yeah you know it's a I collaboration mean? it's a it's it's yeah it's a lot of things the two right. are stronger together it's true yeah we don't we're not good at anything else <laughs> we suck outside of here <laughs> i mean we do i would say can you imagine if we worked at like costco michael like what would we do I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. I, I, I have not been in an office sit situation uh-huh. for, the, for the past eight years. That was the last time I had an office job. And I don't know, I don't know how I would do that. Yeah. I can't be normal. 
I mean, same. Highly identify with that. I drive a lot of people in my Lyft car just as a way to avoid having to do the normal thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, no boss in the Lyft yeah. car. It's just mm-hmm. you and the people. I drive Still a lot of people left. to Costco who work at Costco. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. You know. I love Costco. Yeah, so do I. I also... Oh, actually, you're a person I know who has a Costco membership. I do. That can take me. Yeah. Um, I have noticed that there are people that line up outside of Costco when it I opens. I don't do lines. Yeah, I don't I won't either. do lines. I don't like the lines. I will only go to Costco during the weekday. Yeah, absolutely. During the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's best to... Yeah. Costco, Costco is uh, it can be worse than Disneyland, uh-huh. and um, I approach it with uh, strategy. But I love Costco. Great gas prices, great roast chicken. The flowers last forever. They're Do so they? Fresh. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. I don't uh-huh. usually know that. Yeah. I've never known that. Yeah. But they have great cookies. Uh-huh. They have great frozen area products, and they're good to their employees. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah. All those samples. All the samples. Come on. Although the samples are another thing. I love a good sample, but uh-huh. if there is a crowd. Yeah, no way. I'm not doing like it. I'm not going to fight for a fucking, you know, one fourth of a piece of a chicken. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm not the tiny little bit that isn't even like enough to, if you're going through a desert and you're like a Jew trying to get to Israel or something, that's not going <laughs> to even sustain you. That little bit is not going to do anything for you. No, it's not. And you know what? When you're in your true abundance. You don't need a sample of it's pizza true. bagel to That's know that true. you could just buy the whole thing of pizza bagels and take it home. You can. Yeah. Oh, pizza bagels. That's what I should get. When I was, um, so I'm very dairy and gluten sensitive. Okay. And I can sort of train myself to be less sensitive to those mm-hmm. things by exposure, right? Yeah. And when I was moving cross country, I knew my first stop was Dollywood. Yeah. So for my going away party, I bought all these Costco uh, appetizers. Oh. And then there were so many left over. Because, like, you know, hot appetizer is a nice, classy touch for a party, right? Of course. Um, and so I would just do rounds of hot appetizers. But I ended up with so many left over because, like, I always overbuy for a party because Same. I just never want to be out of food. We overbuy for us. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous what we do. I uh, used all of those tiny appetizers full of dairy and gluten to train my stomach for <gasps> Dollywood. That's so smart. <laughs> I was just ready. I had my what probiotics. What did you eat at Dollywood? Oh, my God. Everything. Um, Dollywood is great for food. Dollywood has incredible food. Yes. Way better than Disney or any other amusement park. I don't know about that, uh, I'm, but I support your stance on fair, that. Fair. I appreciate I, the mutual respect about I that. I find Dollywood to be um, sort of like a very, very high-end old country buffet or like hometown buffet where it has a lot of sort of like country options. So many country options. Whereas I, I, I support Disney's um, uh, sort of diversity of food. True, but I think Disney airs more to simplistic, whereas yes. Dollywood, you can get yes. a real meal and sit down and like have like, and there's like always at least one uh, buffet mm-hmm. uh, where you, it's all you can eat. And I love they an all you can eat iced tea, right? Like, so, and I know like there's only three spots you can get brewed iced tea within Dollywood, and I know where all of them are. And, um, you know, it's just, it's important to me. I, I love iced tea. Uh-huh. Um, I love iced tea, but I love, uh, I love a buffet. That is one thing that I love most about Las Vegas. Uh, I don't gamble. Which one is your favorite buffet in Las Vegas? Well, I did the Las Vegas Marathon a couple years ago. and ran a marathon? Yes, mainly for the buffet. And because my mother and I wanted to go to Vegas together. It's just like a mother-son trip. And I was was running at the time. I was like on a running kick. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to like 
go all out and do it. Like I, I might make it a, a goal, you know what I mean? And have yeah. a reason to go. And so we had, I ran the Las Vegas marathon and, uh, after mom, cancer, uh, no, that was before, before, cancer. Was before okay. cancer. And I, um, I, and my mom and I then spent days eating. <laughs> to just, just re- replenish those calories. Days eat. My uh-huh. mother didn't need to replenish them. Wow. She just ate. And it was just God like food. My favorite at the time, now I haven't been to Vegas in a number of years, but um, the last time I went to Vegas was in 2008 or whenever Bette Midler was there. And I drove there by myself for my birthday to see Bette Midler. Um, I think that was the last time I went because the marathon was before that. And uh, the the Bellagio buffet okay. is amazing. Okay, um, the Treasure Island buffet is great, and the crab legs at uh, Harris 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 I forget the name of the hotel now. Yeah. Um, but that their crab legs are delicious and endless, endless crab legs. I mean, you dip them in butter. Yeah. Oh, they're so good. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm excited that um, Nevada is a legal cannabis state now. Yes. Um, I have not yet had the experience or the pleasure of attending a Vegas buffet while stoned, but like, I oh, feel like should. it's a bucket list item, obviously. I mean, it's so funny. Uh, Michael doesn't want to go to Vegas because he doesn't think he would like it. I don't gamble. I don't drink. I don't, I mean, I drink uh, like special occasions and stuff, but I don't make a habit of drinking and it's never a goal of mine to go out and drink. And um, and I don't care even about the shows. I care about the shopping and the eating. I go to walk. I don't even buy a lot. I go to walk around the mall, mm-hmm. look at expensive things, and then eat 48 crab legs. Yeah. Perhaps ride in a gondola. Yes. In, uh, in an artificial environment. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Vegas oh, is an amazing I and I weird Because that's like Sheldon Addison, Addison's place now, and I don't know if I could go back to that. Yeah. I mean, he's a good Jew. I will say that. He does a lot for a lot of Jewish causes, even though he is kind of an evil Jew, too. Um, he does both. He's, he's, like, he's like Batman. Yeah. You know, good and bad. Uh, is Batman bad ever? I think he's bad sometimes. Batman? I don't fucking know. I don't know, know. I don't know comics. But he's, he's evil, and uh-huh. he, does, he gives to evil Republican things. So I don't know if I could do the gondola thing anymore. Okay. But if he has a good buffet, I might be swayed. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like... This, I, I am very politically involved, but food is one of those things that could get me to vote Republican. Wow, really? No, it couldn't. No, I could never yeah. vote Republican, but I would, I would eat at a Republican fundraiser if it had a buffet. But I wouldn't give money. I would just go for the buffet yeah. and have someone else who is a Republican give money. That way they can do it normally and I can just eat the food. Whatever. I'm going on a tangent here. I'm saying I love food. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm behind that political yeah. party for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So I just have to ask, who are you rooting for in, in, the, 2020? The, in the 2020 election? Ooh, well, I used to work in politics, as yeah, you know. You're informed. Um, I used to work for... You read for, the news. I, do, I work for you the news. You write the news. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I used to work for Anthony Weiner and Hillary Clinton and all them. Um, I, I, I'm leaning towards Warren. Okay. I'm in Warren's camp. I'm, she's the only one currently that is truly exciting me by all of the policies. I get off when someone wows me with their brain. Mm. When someone says something in a way that just makes my brain go, Oh, I never knew it that way. I like it. Like that makes me love a candidate. And and she's currently doing that. And I think and because I'm 
a huge geek. I love, and I, I love presidential history, and that was my focus in college. And so, like, that's a big thing for me. I study campaigns, and I study sort of, like, where the, the country's voting habits have gone in the past and how, like, how a path for Elizabeth Warren seems feasible. You know what I mean? Because like, you think about an academic, someone who spent the majority of her career as a teacher, and there's a great article in New York Magazine a couple issues ago that basically made a case for why America has voted for educators in the past and why it's in 2020 that's what's going to happen. They're voting for an educator over, uh, you know, loudmouth. A megalomaniac and, reality TV star? Well, yes, but <laughs> if you look in terms of symbols, yeah. um, who they represent, and uh, one example, an interesting example is um, the election of 1912 with Woodrow Wilson. Mm. History lesson. Um, so Woodrow Wilson was a racist piece of shit. Let's just get that out of the way. He was a horrible person who did a lot of horrible things in terms of segregation and racism. So, yes, monster. But... Disregard all of that for the moment and only look at his election that had not, that had a little bit to do with race, but very, very little to do with race. Um, 1912, Taft was president, and uh, Roosevelt was the previous president before that. And Roosevelt stepped down because he said, like, because he had gotten it because McKinley had been assassinated and he had basically served eight years because McKinley was assassinated, like, shortly after he was elected. And so then Roosevelt became president. He became this iconic president, whatever, whatever, whatever. So he stepped down and basically handed Taft the presidency. And then he got really angry at Taft because Taft wasn't doing the things that Roosevelt thought he should be doing. And... So Taft and Roosevelt were all like rah, rah, rah in 1912 and like fighting each other. And the Republican Party was a mess. Literally, it was being led by someone, Roosevelt. It was being led by Taft, who wasn't doing anything, really. And then you had this loudmouth, Roosevelt, who was kept essentially screaming and created a third party just to run against his Republican counterpart that he hand-selected to be president, essentially. And so the Republican Party was a shit show. And the country was a bit of a shit show, too, because we had just gotten out of a recession in the late 1800s, and there was all kinds of shit going on. But yet, economically, we were doing well, but not great. Sounds like 2019, doesn't uh-huh. it? Where we've had a recession not too long ago, 2008. Mm-hmm. We bounced back. We figured some things out. We're, yes, job numbers are going up. You know, uh, returns are going up. But income isn't going up. People are making less money. Uh, The average middle-class American is making less money today than they were in 1972. And that's shocking. And so the recession hit, and people are still feeling the effects of the recession, but yet the economy is doing great, which isn't necessarily true because the economy, and you look at all those numbers when they talk about the economy, it only talks about a few things. So what did they do in 1912? They were like, okay, let's go with someone who can maybe explain these things. Let's figure out someone who we can maybe understand what they're saying. And then Rose or uh, Wilson comes in, and he had only been governor of New Jersey for maybe a year before he started running for president. Before that, he was the president of um, Princeton. For, what was it Princeton? Is that the New Jersey one? Yeah. Yeah, Princeton. Um, for years and years and years. I think for like 30 years before that, maybe 20 years. And he was an educator. That's just what he did. And he was known for being an orator, orator who could explain complicated ideas in a really simple way. What is Elizabeth Warren known for? Explaining really complicated economic ideas in a really simple way. And there's a reason why she's rising in the polls because people are resonating with the idea of yeah, my paychecks aren't getting higher. Like, I'm not 
making, I'm not able to go on vacation. I'm not able to invest in my 401k. I'm not able to do these things that I was able to do in, let's say, 1998. And that's a problem because, yeah, the economy is doing better. I have a job. I'm doing okay, but and I'm getting by, but I'm not making extra money to invest in my future at all. And that's where the economy is, and I think that's where Elizabeth Warren is talking about, which is why I think she's a smart choice for the nomination. That said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't know. I I don't like Bernie Sanders. Uh, I, I think I like his policies, but I just feel like he's always yelling at me, and I just want him to stop. Um, he has a hard time with eye contact, which is very yes, off-putting for me. He does, and he's very aggressive in interviews, and I hate it in Trump, and I hate it in Sanders, and I think mm-hmm. Trump and Sanders have a lot in common in that area, yeah. where just this yesterday, I was watching him on Meet the Press or one of the shows, no, uh, State of the Union, CNN, and he, the interviewer was correcting him or saying something or having a conversation that you do on television, and he was like, whoa, 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 wait. And I'm like, don't do that to a woman. Don't do that to anybody, but don't do that to a woman right now. You don't yell at a woman and say, wait, just because you want to get your point across. Like, sure, you're the guest and you're being interviewed, but it is a two-way conversation, sir. Mm -hmm. Like, make your point without being a doofus. So that bothers me. Mm -hmm. Um, And Joe Biden I like, but it's just, he's just, I I like him, but I don't want him to be president because he is a bit of a doofus. I mean, you've made a great case for Warren. Thank you. Um, I would also like I'm available, to, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, <laughs> Warren would be smart to hire you. I don't need to be hired by Elizabeth yeah. Warren. Um, I don't leave my apartment. That's true. If, if it could be a job where you just... <laughs> yeah, it's a remote you could job. could run her Twitter. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. I think she's doing okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you gave me some great Hollywood advice yeah. when you told me that someone is your friend if you can text them right now. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any other, like, sage Hollywood nuggets that you have? Oh, interesting. Um... Well, I mean, yeah, don't make any decisions until the check's deposited. Yeah. Like, that's, don't tell anyone uh-huh. that you're doing anything until the check's deposited. That's a big thing. Uh, and I do think that if you, because there's a lot of people who like to talk big about who they know and what they can do. And, and I think we all do it in some capacity because that is the nature of our industry and what we do. But I firmly believe that if you can't, you can't talk about someone unless you can text them. Yeah. And like, you can't talk like you can't say someone's name as if like in, in a way that like you've worked with them or you're connected with them unless you have some sort of personal communication with them or you can. Yeah. Um, so I believe that. What else? I don't know. Hollywood. I mean, I'm not successful in Hollywood, so I don't know what kind of sage advice someone needs to be successful in Hollywood. I mean, I think I can tell you when I'm successful. I think you're successful. <laughs> I, to at least just say like you're still here. I'm still here. You're still here. doing it. You're evolving in your art form. You're yeah. continuing to get better in your craft. Yeah. I think you're... Um, I, it's so interesting because I so often see these very talented friends of mine mm-hmm. who like um, should be way more famous than they are, should be able to fully sustain themselves on their yeah. art. But like, it's like, it doesn't make sense like who pops off when. And I really... Because well, there's no control over that. Yeah, there's That's no something control. that like, I, I was talking with a mutual friend of ours yesterday or the other day, I forget. And um, just saying like that you can't compare or expect success for someone just because you think they're good. Because like the reason why anybody gets quote unquote famous 
is not because they're necessarily more talented than somebody else. It's just because they fit that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. That's great. But also, I really think it's toxic to measure success in terms of fame, even though that is how we do it. It's like, to me, like, I don't ever think of an end point Mm -hmm. with my work. Like, I don't think of like, oh, I'm going to do this and then it's going to get me to this and then I'm going to be good. Like, that doesn't, that that doesn't make sense in my head. Like, to me, it's always like, and it's how it's always been, no matter how big or little success I've had, like, even if I've had something really successful and actually work, like, the film Mm -hmm. being made, like, I had no idea, I didn't, that wasn't me at all, that was someone else wanting to do that about me. And, and I just went with it and said yes to it, of course. But, like, even that, it's like, well, I want something more than that. Of course, I want the next thing. I want to keep doing the next thing. And the next thing might not be conventional. Like the next thing in this case is turning out to be Sadie Pines. But like it, it, it's not the conventional next step, but it's my natural next step. And it feels right to me. And, you know, once I, once that, even though I don't think there will be a once, there'll be a moment where that is what it's supposed to be. But I think once I feel accomplished in that step, I want something else. I like, think, I mean, that's super human. Yeah. I mean, very human to feel like you always want more. But I also think that, like, if we measure success by, like, are you doing better at your art? Are you doing more? Are you, like, continuing to develop? Are mm-hmm. you hitting milestones? Are you a little, are you just, like, 1% better every time? Because, yeah. uh, like, Cardi B, the great spiritual thought leader, says, yeah. I'm my own competition. I'm competing with myself. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just, like, it's not about, because, like, I, you know, it's so interesting, right? You're, there are people who could have popped off that haven't popped off and that's all like has to do with whim but like women circumstance people and people get famous before they have money yeah. and like money and people get and famous who don't have money exactly and they even when they're famous they don't have money because yes. of the internet now there Ugh. are famous people who yeah. are broke yeah who are who are making the same amount of money i'm making and i'm making shit yeah i mean i'm making a little bit but i'm not making well, a lot yeah you know and it's like and and that's the thing that blows me away is that like this perception of fame and what success is is so fucked up right now that like the idea of if you see someone successful on something even like just sort of like beauty bloggers and stuff on YouTube it's like they're not making that much I mean some of them are but like not all of them some of them are making enough to sustain a life and that's cool Mm -hmm. um I don't know. It's just the whole idea. Like I look, Michael watches a lot of these Disney videos of people going to the Disney parks and like trying food and shit. You know, what are those videos called? Who are those people? Uh, whatever. But they go there and they have a successful YouTube channel of going and they're Disney fanatics and they go to the park and they eat food and they talk about their reactions to the food. And I bet you, I don't think they probably are making a shit ton of money. I think they're making a little bit of money. Do you think they're breaking even on their annual pass? Yes, I do. I think they are making a living doing something that they love. And you know what? That to me is a successful person. Now you would look at them and not know who the fuck they are. But I think what they're doing is actually very successful because A, they're doing what they love. B, they're doing it and they're making a living off of it. And C, they're happy. And that's the greatest measure of success. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. look happy. I think anyone who eat, you know, eats is happy. I and mean, they're eating for a living. They're eating for a living. It's, and no meal should not be delicious, in <sighs> my opinion. I like, agree. just like, why waste it? Doesn't a meal? it piss you off when it isn't? Yes. It's like, it's, I feel offended. I feel annoyed. I feel like yeah. I wasted my time and money. Yeah, when I waste money, I get, I mean, mm. I get, mm. M- Michael's so funny in this that, like, he's just like, it is what it is. And I'm, I get 
furious. I get furious <laughs> that I spent, and that's why when someone, we have a, a friend who, we're boring with food. Like we, we're not, I'm not going to go spend a shit ton of money to eat an experimental meal on something that I know I'm not maybe probably going to like. I will go to Outback. I love an Outback. I love a chain restaurant. I love a cheesecake factory. I love simple. I love easy. And I love, I love, I love experimenting with food too. I'm definitely, I mean, we went to Israel together. We know I'll eat anything. Like I'll try anything. I'll go in any direction, but I'm not going to waste money experimenting on something I know I'm not going to like. Absolutely. And, and when people who call themselves foodies and they go out of their way to like, try all these foods and shit. So a friend of mine wanted to go to this restaurant that was like some f- hybrid of stuff and it was a tapas bar and it and I told I texted him before and I was like, "Yeah, just make sure it's like something like simple, like a diner or like, you know, something something simple and and affordable." And he texted me back this place that is this tapas bar and it's this fusion feud that you don't know what it's coming from or where it's coming from. And each plate is like, you know, like $15 and up at a tapas bar. So that means it's a small plate. So A, that's not affordable. B, it's weird as fuck. And C, I just want a chicken sandwich mm-hmm. or like a salad yeah, or like a burger or quesadilla or ramen noodles. I like tapas if it involves like bacon wrapped dates or other delicious yes. appetizer things. That I can do. Uh-huh. That I can do because I know what I'm getting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a fried food or something. Like that. A I little chorizo nugget. I don't know. If I'm going to experiment with food, I'm going to do it at an event that someone else is paying exactly. for. And I'm going to be like, ooh, it's an adventure night because uh-huh. I'm not paying, you know? Exactly. Big, long. I mean, and so like bless up our which is what abilities. we did with Israel yeah, someone exactly. else was paying for someone us to eat that food someone else was paying for us to eat all so that food we ate all of the weird Israeli Arab food that we could and such good t- hummus and it, up the, in the hummus that village hummus was a lot of there was a, but that's how you can tell I mean I don't want to imply this on you but that's how uh-huh. I can tell I am very basic to the point where <laughs> I can be traveling in a foreign country <laughs> and I will obsess over something that I can get here in the United States you know what I mean yes like the we thing that we remember is the thing that we can get at (laughs) (laughs) 7-Eleven. That's what blows me away. I mean, yeah, but that hummus was like probably the best in the world. It was great hummus. Yeah. But the fact that I can buy hummus at (laughs) 7-Eleven, we shouldn't be excited about that being, like, you know, there's, I don't know. I mean, if you're trying hummus like two, three times a day, like the best hummus of that whole trip then, therefore, is a pretty exceptional hummus. That's true. Right? That's so, true. Was it in the little the village? It was the, in the Druze village. Yeah, the Druze where village. Where the guy who yeah. uh, the the founder of Kabbalah yeah. was writing. It really was the best hummus. It was but the a best lot of people hummus. got sick from that hummus did too. Did they? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. A lot of people got sick on the trip Great after that. I did not get sick. I did not get sick, yeah. and I had a great time eating that hummus. Yeah. Although the, they they had the weird plastic. Like outdoor chairs that I did not enjoy. Yeah, but and the iced tea was weird. The iced tea was weird. <laughs> the iced tea was weird. I remember that. I mean, it was a really good meal, and like it was. There were some great pictures that came out of it. Like, there is. There was. Yeah, yeah. it was a beautiful village. I yeah. don't know. There's just a lot to do. I look forward exploring. to the day that I can bring Michael to Israel. Um, he, I know he's going to hate it, and I know oh. he is. He's not going to like the food. Um. <laughs> 
I, I, do, I can't wait to do this thing that you're absolutely going to hate. I do. But, um, but I, but the I, the most I, loving thing I've ever heard, but I do love, I mean, I love the idea of, because I think that he's going to love the clothing, the shopping, the community, how weird and fashion forward it surprisingly is. Yeah, really? And how like cosmopolitan and it's just, it's just, it's just a weird experience that like, you know, fortunately, with the movie and stuff being, you know, a, a, a Jew of the moment, it's easy to get to those things yeah. and to get those things. So I really hope that we can get to Israel for something. I'm sure. Also, Dragon Israel is so fun and so silly and so weird that, oh. like, I really want Sadie to come to Israel in some capacity. I mean, Sadie belongs wherever she wants to be. I think Sadie is a bit of a queen, a queen Jew, don't you, Michael? I mean, she's very Jewy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So something I'd love to talk about on the podcast because mm-hmm. I feel I have a heavy um, audience somehow in like my life uh, who are ex-Mormons. Mm. I think part of that is because I have a lot of friends who are ex-Mormons and okay. then I've met their siblings and they've shared my work with their friends or yeah. whatever. But I like to throw in some sex tips for people who are new to being gay. Okay. Do you have any sex tips you would give to someone who is new to being gay? Oh, well, flushable wet wipes. Flushable wet wipes. Are an important aspect mm-hmm. for, um, I would say only for bottoms, but like, I think sanitary is good for all people. Everyone can be fresh. Yeah. And also, I want more people to eat a booty. You want more booty eating. Yeah. Yeah. I want people to eat booty. Uh-huh. I think there should have been more of that in my young days when I was starting out. Okay. Being a gay. Yeah. Being a queer gay person. Uh-huh. Um. And just being un, unaware and unsure of so many things. And I want more people to eat booty. So, really, it's funny the that two my go full hand circle is always eating. Uh, yes. It is always a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> it's thematic. Yes. Uh, it's on and brand. Amazing. Yeah. But they do go hand in hand staying fresh and yeah. booty eating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they do. <laughs> they're necessary. Yeah. They're a marriage. Do you feel like there are any tips and tricks you would give for someone to be a good booty eater? Were someone to give that? Don't eat hummus. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I have a friend who has a lot of sexual hangups oh. and a lot of um, like things he will and won't do. And I, I've always been the type of person that I have things that I know I don't like. I'm very direct with things I don't like, you know? Good communicator. Yeah, yeah. but at the same time, I'm also not shut off to understanding that I should experiment things. And so the things that I don't like are things more often than not that I've actually tried and decided in my life, I don't like this. Like this is something that is not for me. And it's not because I've never tried it. It's because I have tried it. I don't like it. And I get really angry when people just say no to something because they think they won't like it. And to me, it's like, I've had, like we were talking about with expensive food and shit. Mm. I've had fancy food. I've had people buy fancy food for me that the food comes on a plate and it's so fucking small and it's it's nothing it's 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 like a um it's like a pizza bagel but not as good it's the size of a pizza bagel and that's the meal one mini no. pizza bagel but it's not even a pizza bagel it's yeah. like a lettuce with like a thing that's wrapped on top of it and there's a meat thing maybe there's a date in there i don't know there's things in there it's and it's not pepperoni it's not food <laughs> It's not a sustainable meal. And 
they think that's impressive. And I have actually ate it. Uh-huh. And by eating it, I can say it is a waste of time. And I don't like it. But I would encourage people to try everything mm-hmm. and to have no hang-ups. And then to decide you don't like it. Yeah. So try booty eating at least once. And then if you don't like it, say you don't like it. That's great. Or, but the difference is, yeah. there's lots of different types of booties out there. It, lots of different types of eaters, too. Exactly. But the fancy food, almost uh-huh. universally, is bullshit. Yeah. Let's just be real. Yeah. Because they're all right. pretentious and they're trying to be something they're not. That's true. H. Allen, what are some like top Instagrams that you would suggest people follow? Instagrams. Instagrams. Oh, like some, yeah. you know, if like there was somebody just like following. being like, hey, there's be my one, taste maker. There's one recently that I am just obsessed with. And it, he, oh, do you remember what it's called? I don't. Um, it, he posts videos from like the eighties and nineties and it, they're the most random while I was messaging with him. Um, they're the most random things and I don't remember. Oh, maybe I saved it. Sorry. Uh, so, well, I think you should follow me. H. Allen Scott. And I think you should follow Michael Brambilla Uh, at Michael Brambilla. Michael Brambilla. (laughs) Um, and Very straightforward. Oh, okay. here we go. Here we go. Here we go. His, but this Instagram is Jeffrey Mixed. It's J E F F R E Y Mixed, and it is the most random Instagram I have ever seen. But he recently posted um, uh, one that this one. Hold on. That's Delta Burke throwing ice cream at a TV. Congratulations on you. Wow. And it's just, it's so, there's another one where. I mean, that's um, a mood. Yeah, it's a mood. And he, and he's just, I love people who, because I was such a TV kid and movie kid that my cultural understanding of things and moments and places and time are all connected to something I saw on television. Oftentimes something obscure that no one else knows about. And what this guy seems to do is to capture these moments from pop culture and the random moments, like this, this, this wheelchair one. It's a woman in a wheelchair. Who gets hit by a truck. Because someone used a remote control. Oh, wow. I mean, it's just random. But it's shit like that that I just, I love. And so um, Jeffrey Mixed is my current obsession on Instagram. I love that. Yeah. Um, H. Allen, you're just a true delight. Thank you. So are you. In the whole wide world. I love you so much. I love you so much too. Thank you for being. Let's on my go to podcast. Israel and eat pounds of of hummus again. Yeah, let's do it in yeah. a bus with yeah. a bunch of uh, really cool people. I would rather not have a bus anymore, though. Really, I, no I want, bus. I want a car. You I want, want a car. I, yeah, I want. I liked the bus. I wanted like, but see, I liked the I liked the bus too. There was sometimes like some art creation. There was the yeah. I don't you know. know. I don't like groups of people. Oh, you know, it was a big group. I like a car. <laughs> that that someone else is driving, okay, and that we're in the back seat, uh-huh. and you're probably napping, and I'm napping because uh-huh. you know using my phone in the car would make me car sick. Yeah, and then we get there, uh-huh. and you step out, and it's like oppressive heat because it's Israel when you step out of the car, yeah. and it makes you enjoy and be fond of the air conditioned car you were just in, yeah, and not the mass bus with a bathroom that might not work. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I don't think there was a bathroom on the bus, actually. I think there wasn't there? No, there wasn't. Because I sat in the back of the bus most of the time because I needed more space for my fat legs. And, like, 
So it was like me and Rick Sorkin, who's like six foot six. Oh, yeah. Both in the back of the bus. I was usually in the front of the bus. Because of the car sick? Yeah, uh-huh. I would get car, and I couldn't, there were so many things I couldn't do on the bus. I think th- those kind of things in general, I'm yeah. not, I'm not good at. I, I'm much better on a plane or a train where there's no, it's some, I think because you can feel, you're so low to the ground, you can feel, I don't know what it is, but and maybe I'm just bougie. I don't know. It's fine. But I'm not. I'm an Outback kind of bougie. Yeah. Outback bougie. I want to go to Outback. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm hungry now. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I love you so much. Thank you for being on my Thank podcast. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, wherever you are, I hope you know you are worthy of love exactly as you are. You are magical. You're amazing. You have it in you to do that thing that's on your heart. Mm-hmm. Fear is the only thing standing in your way. That's Walk right true. through it. Walk through. You're afraid of everything new you try. Try it. And that's how you know you're out of your comfort zone. You're doing something new. You're living life. Eat a booty. Eat a booty. (laughs) Eat something delicious. Take a strong opinion about food. Whatever. Live your life. (laughs) Yay.